Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Well, guys, it looks like today we will be covering the story of Muramori. Liz is currently working on the Tupac episode part one. You won't want to miss this. Liz has already started working on it, and this one has been a hard one overall. But I am super excited about it. So let's dive in to Mura Mori. She was born May 4th, 1982. She's a year older than me and is an American woman who disappeared on the evening of February 9th, 2004, after a car crash near Woodsville, New Hampshire. Her whereabouts remain unknown. She was a 21-year-old nursing student completing her junior year at the University of Mass at the time of her disappearance. On the afternoon of Monday, February 9th, before she left the university campus, she emailed her professors and work supervisor, writing that she was taking a week off due to a death in the family. According to her family, they had not experienced a death. At 7.27 p.m., a local woman reported a car accident on a sharp corner on Route 112 adjacent to her home. A passing motorist who also lived near stopped at the scene as well and asked the woman driving the car if she needed assistance. She declined, claiming that she had roadside assistance on their way. Upon arrival home, several minutes later, the motorist reported the accident to emergency services, and at 7.46 p.m., law enforcement arrived at the scene, but the woman had disappeared. Police traced the vehicle to Maury and initially treated her as a missing person on the behalf that she may have wanted to disappear voluntarily. The speculation was based on her travel preparations and no obvious evidence of foul play. In 2009, Murray's case was given to the New Hampshire Cold Case Division, and authorities are handling it as a suspicious missing person case. Here's a little information on Mura. She had an older brother, Fred, two older sisters, Kathleen and Julie, and a younger brother, Kurt. When she was six, her parents divorced, after which Mura lived primarily with her mother. Murray graduated from Whitman Hanson Regional High School, where she was a star athlete on the school's track team. She was accepted into the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York, where she studied chemical engineering for three semesters. After her freshman year, she transferred to the University of Massachusetts Amherst to study nursing. Prior to her disappearance, in November of 2003, three months before her disappearance, Murray admitted to using a stolen credit card to order food from several restaurants. The charge was continued in December and to be dismissed after three months of good behavior. On the evening of February 5, 2004, while she was on duty at her campus security job, Murray spoke on the phone with her older sister Kathleen. They discussed Kathleen's relationship, her problems with her fiancé, and around 10.30 p.m. while still on her shift, Murray reportedly broke down in tears. When her supervisor arrived at her desk, she was just completely zoned out, no reaction at all. She was unresponsive. The supervisor escorted Murray back to her dorm room at around 1.20 a.m. When asked what was wrong, Murray had said two words, my sister. The content of this call remained unknown until October of 2017 when Kathleen publicly explained the conversation. Kathleen 
a recovering alcoholic, had been discharged from rehabilitation clinic that evening, and on the way home, her fiancé took her to a liquor store, which caused an emotional breakdown. On Saturday, February 7th, Murray's father, Fred, arrived in Amherst. He told investigators he and Murray went car shopping that afternoon and later went to dinner with a friend and his daughter. She dropped her father off at his motel room, borrowing his Toyota Corolla. Returned to campus to attend a dorm party, she arrived at 10.30 p.m. At 2.30 a.m. on Sunday, February 8th, she left the party at 3.30 in the morning en route to her father's motel. She struck a guardrail on Route 9 in Hadley, causing nearly $10,000 worth of damage to her father's car. The responding officer wrote an accident report, and there was no documentation of field sobriety tests being conducted. She was driven to her father's motel and stayed in his room the rest of the morning. At 4.49 a.m., there was a cell phone call placed to her boyfriend from Fred's phone. The participants and content of the phone call are unknown. Later Sunday morning, Fred Murray learned the damage to his vehicle would be covered by his auto insurance. He rented a car, dropped her off at the university, and departed for Connecticut. At 11.30 that night, Fred called his daughter to remind her to obtain some accident forms from the Registry of Motor Vehicles. They agreed to talk again Monday night to discuss the forms and fill out the insurance claim via phone. After midnight on Monday, February 9th, she used her personal computer to search MapQuest for directions to a Berkshire and Burlington, Vermont. The first reported contact Maury had with anyone February 9th was at 1 p.m. when she emailed her boyfriend, I love you, stud. I love you more, stud. I got your message, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking too much to anyone. I promised to call today, though. Love you. She also made a phone call inquiring about renting a condominium at the same New Hampshire condo association with which her family had vacation in the past. Telephone records indicate the call lasted three minutes. The owner did not rent the condo to Murray. At 1.13 p.m., Murray called a fellow nursing student for reasons unknown. At 1.24 p.m., Murray emailed a work supervisor of the nursing school faculty that she would be out of town for a week due to a death in her family. No one in her family had died. She also said she would contact them when she returned. At 2.05 p.m., Murray called a number which provided recorded information about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. The call lasted approximately five minutes, and at 2.18 p.m., she telephoned her boyfriend and left a voice message promising him they would talk later. This call ended after one minute. In her car, she packed clothes, toiletries, college textbooks, birth control pills. When her room was searched later, campus police discovered most of her belongings packed in boxes and art removed from the walls. It was not clear whether Murray packed them that day, but the police at the time said she had packed between Sunday night and Monday morning. On top of the boxes was a printed email to Murray's boyfriend indicating troubles in their relationship. Around 3.30 p.m., she drove to the campus in the back of a 1996 Saturn sedan Classes at the university had been canceled that day due to a snowstorm. At 3.40 p.m., Murray withdrew $280 from an ATM. Closed-circuit footage showed she was alone. At a nearby liquor store, Murray purchased about $40 worth of alcoholic beverages, 
Security footage again shows she was alone when she made that purchase. At some point in the day, she also picked up accident reports from the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles. Murray then left Amherst between 4 and 5 p.m., presumably via Interstate 91. She called and to check her voicemail at 4.37 p.m., the last recorded record used of her cell phone. To date, there is no indication that she had informed anyone of her destination or any evidence that she had chosen one. Sometime after 7 p.m., a Woodsville, New Hampshire resident heard a loud thump outside her house. Through her window, she could see a car up against the snowbank along Route 112. The car pointed west on the eastbound side of the road. She telephoned the Grafton County Sheriff's Department at 7.27 p.m. to report the accident. According to the 911 log, the woman claimed to have seen a man smoking a cigarette inside the car. However, she later stated that she had not seen a man nor a person smoking a cigarette, but rather had seen what appeared to be a red light glowing from inside the car, potentially from a cell phone. At about the same time, another neighbor saw the car as well as someone walking around the vehicle. She witnessed a third neighbor pull up alongside the vehicle. That neighbor, a school bus driver returning home, noticed the young woman was not bleeding or visibly injured but cold and shivering. He offered to telephone for help. She asked him not to call the police and assured him that she had already called AAA. AAA has no record of such call. Knowing that there was no cellular reception in the area, the bus driver continued home and called the police. His call was received by the sheriff's department at 7.43 p.m. He was unable to see Murray's car while he made the call, but he did notice several cars passing en route before the police arrived. Another local resident driving home from work claims she had passed the scene at around 7.37 p.m. and saw a police SUV parked face-to-face -face with Murray's car. She pulled over briefly and did not see anyone inside or outside the car and decided to continue home. This witness statement contradicts the official police log, which has the Haverhill police arriving nine minutes later. At 7.46 p.m., police arrived at scene. A black second generation Saturn S series, identical to the car Murray was driving according to the official police log. At 7.46 p.m., a police officer arrived at the scene. No one was inside or around the car. The car had impacted a tree on the driver's side of the vehicle, severely damaging the left headlight and pushing the car's radiator into the fan, rendering it inoperable. The car's windshield was cracked on the driver's side and both airbags had been deployed. The car was locked. Inside and outside the car, he discovered red stains that looked like red wine. Inside the car, the officer found an empty beer bottle and damaged box of Fanzia wine in the rear seat. In addition, he found a AAA card issued to Murray. Blank accident report forms, gloves, compact disc, makeup, diamond jewelry, driving directions to Burlington, Vermont, Murray's favorite stuffed animal. Missing were her debit card, credit card, cell phone, and none of which had been located or used since her disappearance. The police later reported that some of the bottles of purchased liquor was also missing. At 12.36 p.m. the following day, February 10th, a be-on-the-lookout report for Murray's was issued. She was reported as wearing a dark coat, jeans, and a black backpack. A voicemail was left on Fred Murray's home answering machine at 3.20 p.m. stating that her car had been found abandoned. 
He was working out of state and did not receive this call. At 5 p.m., her older sister contacted her father to tell him of the situation. He then contacted the police department and was told that if Murray was not reported safe by the following morning, the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department would start a search. At 5.17 p.m., Murray was first referred to as missing by the Haverhill police. Murray's boyfriend had turned off his cell phone during his flight to Havern Hill. At some point, he received a voicemail that he believed was to sound like Murray sobbing. The call was traced to a calling card issued to the American Red Cross. On February 12th, Murray's father and her boyfriend held an evening press conference in Bethlehem, New Hampshire, and the next day, the first press coverage was published at 3.05 p.m. The police reported Murray might be headed to the highway area, and she was listed as endangered and possibly suicidal. The police report also stated Murray was intoxicated at the crash site, although the bus driver said that she did not appear to be. A week after Murray's disappearance, her father and boyfriend were interviewed by CNN's American Morning. Murray's family explained their search into Vermont, dismayed that the authorities there had not been informed of her disappearance. Although missing person cases are normally handled by local and state police, the FBI joined the investigation 10 days after she disappeared. The FBI interviewed family from 10 days after her disappearance. New Hampshire Fishing Game conducted a second group and an air search using a helicopter with thermal imaging camera, tracking dogs, and a cadaver dog. At the end of February, the police returned the items found in Murray's car to her family. On March 2nd, the family checked out of their motel. Exhausted from the search, Fred Murray returned nearly every weekend to continue searching. In April, Havern Hill Police informed him of complaints of trespassing on private property. On July 1st, police retrieved the items found in Murray's vehicle from her family for forensic analysis. On July 13th, a one-mile radius search was performed by nearly 100 searchers, including state troopers, rescue personnel, and volunteers. It was the fourth search around the crash area and the first search performed without snow on the ground. Authorities were most interested in locating the black backpack Murray had in her possession, but not found in her car. Police stated the search discovered nothing conclusive. There has been nobody ever found, which makes for an even more impossible case. So let's get started. First question, has she passed on? Before I even get to that, <laughs> as you were reading all of that information and I was divulging all that information. She just wanted to come in here and say that she definitely had a bit of a drinking issue and a drinking problem and that is exactly why she did in fact get into the car accident. But that was the first thing she wanted me to mention. Uh, so to answer your question, yes, she has died unfortunately. And I feel like she's been gone since pretty much the time she was taken. The story is a little wild to follow, so I'm going to do my best to put these pieces together. She is someone who is very secretive and has been keeping a lot of dark secrets, and they seem to be pretty unbelievable, and she feels stupid for keeping things, even from her closest friends. She said she had a bit of a double life going on in some aspects. Let's go back to the beginning. Where does her story start? A big story behind this. So let's see what I can follow. She says she's sorry that none of these things were ever spoken of. And she didn't really open up to any of her friends because she had something all on her own. She shows me 
a special phone. She shows me a bit of a wind whirl romance going on in her life at some point as well. She shows me that she wasn't involved in a relationship for long, but it felt like something magical. She said she wasn't happy with school, her friends, her family, and especially her boyfriend at the time. He was just pissing her off and just not the same person she had put all her efforts into. She never did anything crazy or spontaneous. And when this guy came into her life, she wasn't expecting him at all. She's painting a picture for me. She says, imagine a man who just falls right in front of your face with the most beautiful eyes, the nicest long hair, had a nice tall body, smiled when he spoke. She shows me that he had an accent and I'm not sure, maybe something from Europe. I feel like he was at her school and I feel like he didn't really know her well or she hadn't really seen him before. But she said it was an instant attraction. And again, she doesn't usually stray from being a good girl. And this was one of her moments that she wanted to take a leap. He had claimed to be a student, but was not. And going to school for something completely different than she was going to school for. Again, also another lie. She shows me that he would always just keep appearing right at the right time. And he knew when to meet her. And he kept popping up and spending time with her and he was just her friend. I don't know or understand exactly what she's telling me here, but he wanted to take things a little bit more on the romantic side and she basically told him she was with somebody and didn't want to cheat on them even though they weren't on the best of terms. She just wanted to be remaining loyal to this guy. She had a hard relationship with someone who didn't appreciate her and she wanted something more. This guy keeps pressing her about a relationship. She shows me that he was insistent but very gentle about it until one night. She says it was like a Thursday and it was about two week mark of them being friends when he had told her he needed to go away and do something work related for his family. I even feel like Health was also thrown around in the mix as well. She shows me that she thought he was crazy and thought he was joking, but he did really want to take her. So she decided like pretty much within an hour of him asking her to take the leap and go for it. She had planned to lie to everyone to let them all know she was doing something so no one would question her whereabouts. You should always tell someone where you are headed, even when you are trying to hide it. That detail could have saved her life or at least be able to locate her now. I also feel like he kind of told her to keep everything on the DL as well. She wasn't thinking much and she just wanted to feel alive is what she shows me. She shows me she was slipping into a really dark place. And if she was thinking straight and had seen the red flag she missed, she wouldn't have made that mistake. So she must have gone with him on this journey. So did they go together? Here's where this story confuses me. She shows me that she thought that they would be traveling together. But from what she shows me, he was insistent they travel apart and he'd meet her there. He gave her an address and he told her to meet her there. Now, the other thing that confuses me on this situation is she had her own things going on with her family as well that she was dealing with as well. So she was trying to do all of those things 
and, you know, be the responsible adult by getting like the papers for the accident and all that stuff. Absolutely. So I think she was kind of happy to be able to get all those things done. And the place that he had told her they were going to is where she had pulled up the information on MapQuest and pulled up that map. So how far away did she have to go? She shows me it was a few hours away and she wasn't good with following directions and she admits that she had gotten a lost a few times. But with her, she said like when she would get lost, she would just wander to places. She said she also stopped along the way to get some snacks and drinks for the drive. And uh, from what she had seen on the map, it was farther than she had anticipated and also more so off the grid. So she wanted to make sure she had enough things before she ended up going. She also shows me that she gasped up, afraid to be without it. She said she felt chilled a lot of the time, and she kept hearing words like, go back to school, call your friends, say goodbye to your family members. She just never really understood why. All her family members and spirits trying to tell her what was going to happen. I know she got into a car accident. What happened with that? So the car accident was completely unintentional or even part of the plan when it comes to her disappearance from what she shows me. But... That was a complete accident. And if it wasn't for that situation, it may have taken her family an entire week to know that she had gone missing. She felt like her family was trying to stop things from progressing. Now she shows me that this person was not far from her and her car when she did have the accident. And I feel like he turned around because he did in fact see her in the rearview mirror or something along those lines or didn't notice her back. So he went back and I feel like he took her away and she went with him. I feel like she had planned on taking a few items with her, which she did, but she shows me she was rushing and he started to become more aggressive with her when she got into the car. So this guy, do we have any information about him? Sorta. She shows me that he had a black car, a small one with tinted windows. She said his car wasn't taken care of, but it was pretty high tech at the time. I see his hair was on the longer side and there was some curl to it. He also liked wearing button-up shirts and cargo pants. He also had some sort of Playboy cologne. I'm not sure the scent. She shows me it was a blue bottle. When she got into the car, he started to act weird. A side of him that she had never seen before, but then again, she only knew him for a couple of weeks. So how did it change? She shows me that he was just mad at her for getting in an accident and that she was wasted and wasted enough time and that she had already taken her time with getting ready and being a few hours late already. He was telling her that this was his disappointment in her and it made her very uncomfortable. She made a decision in her head that after she finished this trip with him, she was not interested in seeing him anymore. However, wanted to make the best of it. He, however, was more and more aggressive as time progressed, and she had thought about getting out of the car several times, and she had no way of reaching out to anyone since uh, she didn't have her phone. From what I feel, I think he took it. She shows me that she just figured she would make a phone call when she got to where she was getting to since they had the plan to go to this little place. Uh, she felt comfortable enough to wait it out. She said she even felt like she fell asleep in the car for a period of time, which was odd since she said she was only supposed to be driving for a couple hours, but looked like she was in a car for at least six hours and something didn't sit well with her anymore. She said she started to ask him questions and he was very vague. And also want to point out as well, I feel like he was intentionally planning to take her to this location, but then changed his mind on the way. Talk about wrong place, wrong time. What happened next? 
She shows me that they got to a very woody place. There was a little cabin and another truck, a white one being there. She also saw a lot of axes and shovels outside. She also shows me that there was no other cabin or anyone close by. She said she started to feel like she was in a horror film. She had to talk herself off a ledge. And she said that she had bad anxiety and she was definitely worried. Does she know where she is? She believed that she was around Cape Cod or something in that area, but still in mass. She said there was a lot of water on either side and remembers that Cape Cod was the last thing she saw on a sign. What happened next? She said that no one was there. Even with the white truck being there, it must have been his. She said she waited and waited a few hours and he kept going back and forth in the house and out of the house. He even got dressed in something else like the clothes were pretty dirty. So like around the house kind of stuff. She shows me that he gave her something to drink and that she said she felt sleepy and she wanted to take a nap. She says she tried to tell him and when he came back into the room, she was dizzy. She knows he drugged her and she called him a pussy. Of course he drugged her because he can't handle her screaming no. I know she was drugged. Does she remember anything else? She said she felt his breath, his saliva on her body and that she was naked. She said it was very blurry. She shows me that he definitely raped her a few times. And she also remembers him taking her into a box and burying her, like, deep into the ground. She shows me he lit a box on fire, too. So it was like a crate, if you will, and threw a, like... Gasoline? Thank you. Threw gasoline on the crate and let her burn. She said she was still alive when he burned the box. She said it was the most terrible experience in her life, obviously, and she's glad she was drugged to not have to understand or experience it sober. She said that she remembers her skin feeling like she was on fire for a very long time and then having no air. I was not expecting you to say that. I'm sure you definitely felt that. Will this case ever get solved? Yeah, actually, I think it can. I feel like there will be more victims... I feel like he has a large property or even him and a few of his family members, all men, of course. I feel like they bury bodies and burn them and then finishing them up with soil on top. Small wooden crate boxes. He will get caught. There is some DNA of hers that will be found. And I'm going to say that maybe her teeth, too, and a few bone fragments and others, too, will also be identified. He never tried to take another student, however. He did take a few other females, maybe even a few men. Just not sure about the sex side of things with the guys. Let's change gears here and bring this conversation back to something a little lighter. I know you saw that slap on TV with Chris Rock and Will Smith. A lot of rumors floating around as to how this even happened. What are your thoughts on this? I feel so sorry for so many people in this situation. It's not even funny. The romantic side of me feels happy for Will to be protective of his wife, but taking it a little too far with the slap not needed. But the words are fine. I also feel like Will is under a large amount of stress and is just having a super hard time in his life right now. And unfortunately, he's not acting or being rational. Sadly, I do feel like he and Jada will eventually get to a breakup point, but I feel like he made a promise to his kids to stick by their mother as he will. I do feel, though, they'll have like that family dynamic and continue to stay together in the sense of having family. Jada, she's just unhappy in her life and doesn't know how to fix it. And now she feels like she's old and ugly and who would ever want her, so she just sticks it out. 
I feel like Chris Rock meant nothing badly about it, but I think he thought Will would laugh about it. It was funny. He also felt bad for Will. He felt like there was a lot going on, Will overreacting, and yes, he did it in front of everyone. But Jesus, we hold celebrities to this like non-human status, and I really don't like that. Not that they're to be judged all the time. I'm so sick of hearing it's what they've signed up for. No, you don't get to bully or judge or be mean. It happens all the time. We have moments we just don't catch them on camera. Drives me nuts. But yes, Will and Jada will find their happy times. And hey, Will will get some extra unexpected cash for this particular situation. Thank you so much for that. And next week, guys, you have all been waiting for this one. We will be covering on the exclusive side of Podbean, the first part of Tupac. Woohoo! The following week, episode number 12, will be about Joshua Davis. Liz covered this case on TikTok and she wants to go over it a little bit more in depth and give you guys some updates. Thank you for that. And one other thing I want to mention before we go is a lot of people have been coming in and asking me how to access the exclusive side of Podbean. Well, you have to download the application. Look up Freaked Out and then go to the profile. You'll see this like little icon right on the picture on the on my actual platform and then you can pledge a dollar. So that is kind of how it works. And I did want to give a couple of shout outs to a few people, but one in particular, we recently had a beautiful pledge and I wanted to send a shout out to Josh. You are awesome. Thank you for your support being there. You are definitely an awesome person and we appreciate you all for pledging. So keep watching guys, more and more to come. Until next time, guys, stay freaked out.